welcome to this episode of the TPM podcast or Theology of Plain Men. Uh, this week or day, I'm joined by fellow contributors Zach Doman and Matt Almquist. I'm sorry, what's your name? <laughs> and he bombs again. Ladies and gentlemen, Michael Francis, the GOAT. I was of just bombing about to go there, Zach. The I had intro. I was pretty smooth there. It was it was is, actually awfully choppy. This is what? Go for it. No, it's all you. It's you. <laughs> and this is Michael Francis, as Zach said. We are the the OGs, as the kids are saying it these days, because Zach, Matt, and I uh, did run this podcast kind of through Facebook Live when we were in college. Um, so known I, as known as a hick, a hipster, and an Amish guy, or HHA. And at this point, Zach said he is a surprise for me, uh, Michael. And I don't know what's about to happen. So for all of you listeners out here, you are hearing this for the very first time, uh, just like I'm hearing this. Uh, right. so, so like Michael here said, my go. name is Zach. Uh, I am the hipster of HHA. This is, this is, uh, oh, am I, I'm a little too loud here. Let me do one of those. Is that better? You guys good? Way better. I'm blowing out the eardrums. Okay. So I am the hipster of the group. Michael being the Amish man and Matt, of course, being the hick. And it's not close. Um, so we have, we, we used to do Facebook live videos. Uh, those of you who are the real fans who've been around for a while, uh, remember the Facebook live videos. And there are some doozies in there. There is some good stuff. Uh as as I've done some reflecting on, because uh, I ske- I schedule this right, I, I do our scheduling, and I pretty intentionally scheduled the three of us because I wanted to do a little bit of reminiscing, reliving the good old days. But uh, I went through and found a couple videos. Uh, speaking of Michael bombing intros, um, Michael, you had a couple of doozies, so I want to play some some back for the listeners. Uh, we're gonna get a little history lesson here. I am so this so was excited. this was maybe the second one we ever did. It was called Men's oh, no. Roles in Relationships, <laughs> um, and and Michael uh, started it as such. So uh, enjoy. Oh boy. <laughs> hey everyone, it's not watching yet, but might watch tomorrow morning. I have a whiteboard mark on Today, my mouth, just so everyone knows. We're gonna be doing a little math. And uh, we're gonna we're gonna start out this episode of HHA with a little fun. It's the, the season of fun. Um, uh, so I'm gonna get, I'm gonna pause it here for a second. We we need to do some commentary on this for a second. We're using a front facing camera, <laughs> so Michael is writing like a normal human being. On like an iPhone five. On an iPhone no, this is easily an iPhone four. Uh my, the rest of the world is seeing this whiteboard math equation being written backwards. So uh, let, let's continue. Hold on. Also, the fact that the way we do a hook into the episode to get our listener base in is start with the with math problem. Uh, just oh. Can you see this equation? It's the square root of one. We're going to solve this together. The square root of one over two raised to the third power times pi equals... What? So as we start to solve this, we can look that square root of one. I misspoke is, uh, so much is equal here. Square root of negative one. I, math nerds the imaginary there. number. Um, and then this is a divide sign. It's come to, or sometimes called over. So you've got I over, and then two to the third power is called eight. So I over eight. That was a poor eight. 
I over 8, and then this is the, the numerical symbol of, of pi. So I over 8 pi. Hey, that was a themed Boo. joke for Thanksgiving. That was a themed joke. That was clever. So, so we're, we're not done yet. It's it gets worse. Let's just, let's just let's just let this one ride out a little. <laughs> I bit. I over ate pie, and it was Thanksgiving. All right, I'm still <laughs> awesome. So here's the th- I, that, that's not the only one I found. Um, I do have another one. We went away from math. Um, th- this was a good one. Uh, this was called, this is actually what I, one of my favorite ones we ever did. One of my favorite series we ever did, uh, is called, what is the object of our faith? Wolves among sheep. Uh, we, we talked about prosperity gospel and a few things that really good stuff here. That said, Michael, uh, destroyed the intro again. Destroyed is good. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Welcome back everyone. Once upon a time. (laughs) <laughs> a guy named Frederick went off to school and he uh, he came home for winter break and he was sitting around the dinner table out in uh, backwoods, Minnesota he uh, he goes out to small town Minnesota where he's from and he really uh, is is getting back to the dinner table and his Stop whole family is around a bunch of farmers, this first guy to go to college in his family and uh, Frederick sits down at the table and they're eating dinner and they're, they're ending dinner and, and his dad turns to him and says, Hey, Frederick, what, what's something that you can share with us that you learned from your first year at school? First year at engineering school. And uh, Frederick turns to the other people at the table and says, Pi R squared. He also totally doesn't talk like a Minnesota. Cool, right? Minnesotan. But on the other end of the table, Uncle Jimmy starts laughing. And just cracking up and says, We all have an Uncle Jimmy. Hey, that there boy, Frederick. I didn't know he was getting some humor degree. Everyone knows that pie are round. <laughs> Get it? I would like it noted that he was the only one who laughed at the joke in this video, and he's the only one who laughed at the joke in this basement, everybody. So uh, I wish hey, you guys could see the video, though, because it's clever. It's the it, three it, of us packed in like <laughs> sardines onto a tiny little college couch that was left over from generations gone Not by. Social distancing back oh, then. Oh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, go check out Theology of Plain Men on YouTube. There is some gold in there. It's I. There are so many more uh, that I left out, but. Anyways, uh, but did you get that again? It was a guy at college. We're at college. Brilliant themed jokes. I just want to emphasize that. Brilliant is a big, big, big time stretch, but uh, we'll let it go. Uh, Anyways, guys, I hope you enjoyed that little trip down memory road. Uh, It was good for me. Uh, Let's uh, let's get into what what we talking about today. Good for our hearts. Yeah. (laughs) Some of those videos are pretty good, but yeah, we definitely are still learning today, especially on how to talk well. not into a camera. Um, all right, Matt. So a little backstory for you all. Uh, when we were in college, we went to a conference, a winter conference uh, with our student group. Um, and sophomore year and junior year, uh, Matt gave me a topic to give a class on. And I, I would write up some class notes and we would I would teach a class on a certain theological topic. And uh, we usually did it on something we disagreed about. In sophomore year, I did it on spiritual gifts. Um, so tonight we're going to talk about spiritual gifts. And th- that's because Matt and I disagreed, and Zach's kind of always stood on the sidelines as an uh, innocent bystander. Um, but we're going we're gonna to have a discussion about spiritual gifts. And just here's- doing everything I can to maintain uh, just this 
utterly just fractured friendship because of this discussion. So. <laughs> That's not true. All right. Anyways, could we let's just take a step back for a moment. Um, between the two of you, maybe both of you have something to say here, but could we just do a quick like, if you're going to define exactly what you're talking about with spiritual gifts, because that that in and of itself is a little gray yep. in terms of that definition. So why don't you I'm break gonna, down a little bit? I'm going to roll it back once more and just set the ground rules for tonight and the point of tonight, and then we'll get into definition of spiritual gifts. I'm not going to bed anytime soon. Am no, I? the the <laughs> point the point of tonight will be I'll be quick is is to have a discussion about spiritual gifts and hopefully bring our listeners and, and you all out there in each other just having a a nice. Good discussion on definitely a gray area, a gray topic of the Bible, how to ask questions and and kind of look at both sides. And, and Matt and I have done, and Zach has done uh, a good amount of research on what each side is and, and the good questions to ask each side. So we'll, we'll start there and we're just going to talk like two guys over a cup of coffee. And that's kind of my goal here. Um, I say two guys because I'm looking over at Zach, just looking at his new soundboard and computer and keyboard and just being all excited with this toys. yeah here's but, the thing so it'll be matt and i so over a cup of coffee i'm not going to even remotely pretend that i have done nearly the research that either of these two guys have so i have a few thoughts on on the topic but i'm not gonna act like i'm nearly the expert that these two are all right yep so we'll uh we'll just have a discussion about it and we're gonna go through it and uh, we'll see what happens so i'll kick it over to matt now matt how would you define spiritual gifts well, I don't really like starting off being being told that I'm an expert on it because that <laughs> sets me up on way too high of a pedestal to do anything on. Uh, spiritual gifts, uh, man, there's, there's a lot of ways to go about it. And I think that spiritual gifts in general, we would probably agree are, uh, I mean, just like any gift, right? Um, there, there's something you have and it's something that's been given to you. And so it's not something that you just work hard to get. It's something that um, we as Christians believe um either now or in the past have been given to us by God to serve a purpose. And so uh, in a broad sense, spiritual gifts could include everything from uh, serving and having a servant heart to prophecy. Uh, but tonight we're really going to focus on more of the extraordinary gifts um, because I think we'd all agree that some some of the, the ones like serving and teaching and exhorting are, you know, that that's still very present and those aren't really abnormal. Everyone seems to have some degree of those. But the ones we're going to focus on more are from the First Corinthians 12 passage. Um, and Michael can dive into this further. But these uh, these are usually listed, listed as words of wisdom, word of knowledge, uh, gifts of healing, miracles, prophecy, uh, speaking in tongues, interpreting tongues. Uh, did I miss any there, Michael? Uh, distinguishing of spirits and uh, uh, faith as a as a gift so i think there yeah yeah i think matt did a great job so usually to start this conversation you need to delineate those two things with your audience so spiritual gifts as a big circle is the <clears throat> the teaching administration and all those things that god can pour out to individuals as part of of having spiritual gifts um, and then within that circle if you could imagine two concentric circles a smaller circle I usually like to use the word apostolic. Um, you know, they were gifts that we see in all the apostles, and that helps really define it for people. When you say apostolic gifts, they're the extraordinary, you know, the supernatural gifts. Um, most people think of prophecy, healing, and tongues. And Matt's Matt's verses there are are First Corinthians twelve one through um, one through ten. If you want to look that up, and you can count nine spiritual gifts there. But Matt mentioned all those. So a great way to start this discussion is to know what you're talking about with the person across the table. 
um, because somebody might be thinking big circle spiritual gifts, so gifts of teaching and administration and exhortation, and somebody else might be talking about just the supernatural apostolic gifts. So it's good to delineate those two things. I think tonight we'll mainly be focusing in on the apostolic ones because you see that um, in different groups, whether it's uh, on one side of the spectrum with the Pentecostal church, the Assemblies of God church, the what's called charismatic churches, and then more of the certain groups of the Reformed church um, are more called what's called cessationist gifts, meaning the gifts, gifts ceased. That's the definition of the word cessationist. So you'll hear those two words thrown around a lot um, in this discussion as the two balances are charismatics and cessationists. Charismatics believing the gifts have gone on and cessationists meaning they've ceased. And there's a third group that's kind of in the middle, um, which are called continuationists, which believe the gifts have continued, but they're much more rare. So a charismatic would be practicing them actively in their church. A continuationist would say they're still going on, but they're not necessarily being practiced as widespread. And a cessationist would say they're ceased altogether. So those are the main three groups. And uh, yeah, Matt, any uh, any other points there? Uh, no, no, I think you, you covered that really well. And I think it's important to, to understand, hearkening back to this sophomore year presentation that you gave us um, at, at your <laughs> at the winter conference, the, the reason we we did it and the reason I challenged Michael for it is because we, we came from very different sides of this growing up. And so I came from a charismatic church and a charismatic faith community where it was understood it was almost expected that at some points you would have some of these experiences of extraordinary gifts you know i i knew plenty of people um in my friends and family that you know very readily would claim to be able to speak in tongues uh that would prophesy you know even growing up i've i thought that i've prophesied before that i had visions that somehow would lead me to make a better uh faith choice or to help someone come come to faith or or whatnot, um, and I really wanted it because I felt like it was what I was supposed to have. Uh, and then moving moving on more toward high school into college, and, and certainly toward where I'm at now, I'm more in a, a continuationist camp where I, I don't presently believe that the gifts have entirely ceased. Um, but I, as Michael would say, it, I'm much closer to being a fence sitter than I used to. Uh, whereas Michael, you came from a pretty cessationist. Uh, these gifts are, are no longer practiced or should be practiced. Uh, in the church. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Um, growing up, I, I went to a, <clears throat> a Baptist church till about fifth grade. And then as, as Zach famously says, I'm, I'm reformed, but I have a really good dispensational friend. Well, I'm that really good dispensational <laughs> friend. <laughs> that uh, is exactly how I describe If you've talked to me, that is a hundred percent how I describe my theology. Yeah. So I, I then went to a, a mid-axe dispensational church. Um, and we don't have to get into all those words right now, but one of the the beliefs of, of my church and how I was raised is that the gifts have, have ceased. Um, so I think the most prominent teacher out there today that, that teaches cessationism would be John MacArthur. Um, and he's written a lot of books, the most famous of which is called Strange Fire. Um, and there's a lot of books out there to, for and against spiritual gifts, but that's not to mention the, well. the John MacArthur, uh, study Bible itself is, uh, he also takes in, in his it, footnotes yep. takes an awfully cessationist yep, view yep. As, yep. as well. He's kind of the name of, of today when it comes to cessationism. So I came at it more from a, an, a place where the gifts have ceased. Um, and that's kind of where that discussion came from. And I, I think one thing that Matt and I, <laughs> in our old age uh, you know, <laughs> of 25, one thing we're all learning, I think, in life is that 
as you get and learn more about a subject, the more central you seem to come if you're truly trying to empathize and understand the other side. Um, it's something where you start to ask good questions and get good questions asked of you. And you realize the world isn't quite as black and white um, and you have to walk through the gray areas um, hand in hand and your eyes solely fixed on the gospel. And I'm glad we really agree on the gospel. So when you think of what we're talking about today, I think we view that it, uh, it definitely is a, a tier two or three discussion where we're not uh, really discussing over what the gospel is. And, and uh, we agree on that. And this is more of a, a secondary discussion. Um, and that that's something that we want to walk into today, though, because this is a gray area and it is a hot topic. So we can start getting more and more into it. Uh, Matt, do you have any ideas on how we want to kick this off or, <laughs> or I'll or I'll figure out something? Let, let's just I think we should just I don't know. Um, I'll try to moderate, I guess. That's probably the best thing I could do in this discussion. But uh, I think let's just kind of rumble through a few points, go back and forth a little bit. Um, yeah, I think talk about kind of your default stance you've had, maybe bring up a couple pieces of scripture and let's let's see where we go from there. Yeah, I'll, I'll start. And um, <laughs> this will be a pretty disappointing debate if you come for it for that that purpose. Uh, I don't know how much moderating we're going to need, Zach. But um, <laughs> really, I, I think that for, for me, when I look at this, I see a lot of evidence in the New Testament of the spiritual gifts being practiced. And something Michael and I would agree about is that spiritual gifts exist or existed for a purpose. They weren't just around to show off um, how good of a Christian you were. They weren't just there to even approve your faith. They were there to help edify the church and to glorify God. And so um, all of these gifts in some way or another had a reason to exist um, and so as, as we move forward through the New Testament, I see continued practice of this through the apostles. And after we get past the apostles, we, you know, we, we kind of run out of scripture. We're not, we're not reading, uh, any, any, uh, teaching as authoritative that wasn't written by an apostle. And so after that, yeah, we, we don't see it practiced, but, um, the way I look at this is it seems to me that because it is practiced so thoroughly through the New Testament and that we see it prescribed to Christians in the early church um, as something to even seek out at times, um, I, I, I don't see a convincing break of where it is prescribed to stop practicing these. Um, and I think Michael's going to do his uttermost to show me where exactly that break is. Um, but I, I guess it feels to me that the burden of proof, if you will, I don't know if that's a good way to, to interpret the Bible really, but the burden of proof on this um, would be on the cessationist point of view to show why a common practice in the early church isn't practiced today. So Michael, go for it. Yeah, I somewhat agree and, and you know, disagree with Matt's point. The, the problem with this discussion... It <laughs> sounds like a fence-sitter to me. If I'm, I don't know. It's going to be well, real he, exciting, guys. He made, he, made a few, he made a few points there. So there's a couple things that I just want to get clear with our listeners before we really go into the, the nitpicky theology stuff is, is one, you got to be really careful on how people are defining gifts. If you watched... Uh, you know, TBN, Trinity Broadcasting Network, and you listen to Sid Roth give his instruction on how to speak in tongues, he would say, speak in a lot of little words as fast as you can in this language that you don't know and nobody else can understand will be speaking in tongues. Well, 
No. Biblically defined, the biblical definition of speaking in tongues is found in Acts 2, where we see the apostles were given the gift of speaking in tongues, and they were able to speak known languages. So like that's an example of, of when you walk into this, first you have to walk into it with biblical definitions. So both Matt and I would agree that that's the biblical definition of speaking in tongues. Um, so that's not where we're disagreeing. Um, but I think that's one big thing where the modern Pentecostal movement, um, and I don't want to throw all Pentecostals in a group. There's a lot of differences amongst them even. Um, could, could we just say like hyper charismatic? Sure. Hyper, hyper charismatic. The people who think. And actually, a, a real theological word, which I didn't know until I read a book called Doctrine, um, written by uh, Mark Driscoll and Gary Brashear, is the thing's a textbook that Michael gave to me. Uh, there is a fourth term on the other side of charismatic called charismaniac, yeah. which is probably the correct term. <laughs> I feel like Driscoll put that in as a derogatory <laughs> it, it, term. I think it's, it was in the book. I don't know. Yeah, you can yeah. bring it up with him. Yeah. Anyway, um, so so one thing when you when you get into this discussion with somebody, if you are you know, more on the continuationist or sensationist side, like I said, continuationists would agree with me on this, would be you got to be careful that you're defining the gifts off the Bible. That's step number one. Um, sorry about that. I had my phone on silent, Zach. Uh, I believe you. <laughs> I, I have it open, though. That's the issue. So anyway, back back to the point. Um, in the second, that that really, I think, creates the, the big burden on me is really dispelling this myth that um, people go into some churches and they're told, well, you have to speak in tongues to be a believer. You have to be able to heal to be a believer. And I, I think that's straight out awful because when we look at first Corinthians 14, uh, Paul specifically says those who have spiritual gifts, whether it's prophecy or speaking in tongues must use it to edify and build up the church. The purpose, and that's the first question I want to go into, that everyone needs to ask no matter where you stand on this. The first question you should a ask is, what was the purpose of sign gifts in the first century church? And Matt and I agreed. They were for growing and building up the first century church. Absolutely. Because if you think about it, there weren't many believers at the time. There was 120 people when Jesus were killed in the upper room. <laughs> you could argue the movement was bigger than that, but those were the, the believers that were mentioned. And it's a small group. And to grow that quickly, like we see the quick growth in the first century church, there was these sign gifts present. Zach's and and maybe even uh, to, to belabor that point a little more, there wasn't the cohesive, perfect, or kind of neatly compiled scripture Bible that we have today. Yep. That, that right. also wasn't readily available to them. Mm -hmm. No, yep. New Testament, they had the Torah and everything. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, they had the Old Testament, but yeah, like Zach said, is they don't have a, a neatly compiled scriptures yet um, as we do today. So that's a couple things to note up front. Can, can I just chime in here? I, I know you're kind of going on your no, point here. No, but, go, go for um, it. I, I, I couldn't stress Michael's point enough, and this is where it's going to be really disappointing if you just want to hear us disagree all the time because we really agree on 98% of what we're going to talk about. Um, eh, 75. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm oh, kidding. Right down the middle. <laughs> um, but no, I, I have good friends who have you know, been really, really hurt by this um, well, hyper-charismatic or charismaniac side of it that, that says to know that you're a Christian, to know that you've been saved. Uh, you know, sometimes these uh, far um, charismatic groups will say like, you know, it's the, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit or, or the being filled. I forget what the exact term is, but uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. um, they, they'll say like, you have to speak in tongues. You have to prophesy. You have to do these things. Otherwise, there's no way to know that you are really saved. And so you do have these 
you know, people that are like, for instance, with tongues, like you talk about, I know someone who faked his way through, you know, speaking in tongues just to convince his family and his church that he was really saved. And it caused him to walk away from his faith for 10 years because he just saw it as a fraud. You know, the, the church is being fraudulent. He, you know, he was partaking in the system that had to be false because he did all the right steps and yet it didn't work. So it's unbelievably dangerous. Uh, bad theology hurts people. Keep going, Michael. Yeah, I think that's a, a solid point to begin with. Um, at this point, I think some of our listeners might be cessationists, but most are want us to get into this question of did gifts cease in the First Testament? So I'm going to provide a brief two to four minute overview of how a cessationist would build the case. Four minutes is a little steep, but I think keep it closer to the two here. Let's keep it moving. <laughs> are you kidding? Most of these are take like three hours to walk through. Anyway, um, so a cessationist case would be that that gifts, apostolic gifts, as we see them active in the first century church, were used specifically to build up and edify the church. Now, the key, one of the keys to this argument, and I'll just use this one to start, is kind of when the books were written is important. So when we look at when the New Testament books, or excuse me, the timeline of what's going on of the events of the books, um, we see the the Gospels, for example, were written about Jesus's ministry or life and ministry. So that's that's eighty. We can argue when Jesus was born, BC four, eighty zero, whatever, eighty zero to eighty thirty. Let's call it. Um, and then after that, uh, the Book of Acts picks up and goes from um, eighty forty to or thirty to about eighty. 45 or so through Paul's ministry. There's some years gaps in there um, and from there. But Paul actually continued his ministry until the early 60s when he was killed, and that's the prevailing thought. So when we look at the main author of these spiritual gifts and giving direction to the church on them, that would be the Apostle Paul. Most of the instruction of gifts comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and uh, through 14. First Corinthians was one of the first books Paul wrote, right? With Galatians and first and second Thessalonians. This would be in the early fifties of AD. So we see him give instruction to the Corinthian church, which was known to be steeped in sin and not understanding theology. Well, abundantly clear in first Corinthians. Yeah. And we see Paul build a case of here's what spiritual gifts are for. You guys aren't using them right. They're, they're to build up the church. You guys are using them for your own arrogant means. And here's spiritual gifts. And then what you see through Paul's letters is gifts start to go away and or completely vanish. So the next set of letters after what's called the Acts epistles, which first and second Corinthians, um, Romans, first and second Thessalonians and Galatians would be in. Those are the Acts epistles. The next grouping is the prison epistles that Paul wrote while he is in prison, which would be Philippians, Ephesians and Colossians and Philemon. Um, And then his last letter is, his last set of letters is called the, the pastoral epistles, which are Titus and first and second Timothy. That's, that's rough. I might've gotten one wrong, but in general, those are the buckets we're talking about here. So what we see is the Acts epistles, the gifts are present and active. And even Paul is able to use the gifts. We see that through the story of Acts. Um, after the close of Acts though, there's a couple verses that I just want to highlight quick. One is found in, in Philippians two and we see here Philippians 2, 25. This is Paul writing. But I thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need, because he was longing for you all and he and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick to the point of death. 
But God had mercy on him, and not only him, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. We see here Paul's close friend Epaphroditus is sick, near to the point of death, and Paul didn't heal him. And that raises a question, why didn't Paul heal him? We see him doing healings and acts, and he wasn't able to heal Epaphroditus. At the same time, in the pastoral epistles, we see Timothy is also sick, and Paul is unable to heal Timothy, or other people around Timothy aren't able to heal him as well. So we see these gifts fading out. Now, there's more scriptural basis in 1 Corinthians to show that Paul said, at a time when we understand things not well um, and dimly, um, this is how we see it. And later on, as the gospel and the scriptures become more complete, we will not need those anymore because the Spirit is working within the Bible, within the written scriptures, and within the message of the gospel going to the ends of the known earth of the time. And that's what we see as the, as the gospel is extended and through the Pauline letters, we see those gifts no longer active today. Um, and through that, we see at the close of the first century that those are no longer evident. Um, that's the, the first case. And I can run a few more points, but at this point, that's the one case for cessationism. Go ahead, Matt. Can I ask a clarifying question? Do you, do you think that the apostles, when, when they uh, undoubtedly had these spiritual gifts, did they have the ability to use or wield them at any point? Or was it only when God chose to allow them to use it? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so, so two facets there. One facet is modern-day charismatic teachers claim to have the ability to heal on command, right? The Benny Hinn uh, brings to mind. Um, former Benny Hinn, didn't he just recently come out saying he's kind of moving away from that stuff? But That's another topic. podcast. All right, we'll, uh, we'll move anyway, on from that for now. if you look at Benny Hinn's old videos, he's the famous one of, of doing that, right? The healing on command and just touching people who are sick. Yeah. And you see those healing conventions outside of Pentecostal churches sometimes. Um, so one, what my point is, Obviously, the Bible is blatantly against that part of it. When we look at Scripture, it seems to have a, a piece of God's sovereignty at play as well. But also, it seems to, uh, when we look at, at verses and just healing the lame beggar and, and those things, it seems like the apostles do have the ability, when they call out in Jesus' name, to heal those that were given. Um, and the gifts of healing were active in the church in First Corinthians. So people would be able to heal those so that people would be able to continue the message and spread of the gospel. So uh, unclear exactly because it doesn't give us a definite, uh, but it does seem that at certain times those gifts were available again to grow and build up the church quickly. Yeah. I, I, I asked the clarifying question pretty much for the reason that Michael brought up is that, um, you know, I, I certainly wouldn't expect that if these do exist today, that they would be able to be, um, implemented at anyone's any person's uh choice at anyone's you know because otherwise you you know if if this does exist every person who has a gift of healing should be in a hospital 24 7 mm -hmm. right? exactly. like why wouldn't you be using that but um I, I that's not the argument from the continu continuationist point of view it's that at certain points in very specific situations to further the cause of the church to edify the church to glorify god um you mm -hmm. are given that ability to to heal or to uh, do the other works, and I'm not. Are. I'm not going to bring up any certainly any specific stories, but um, I think we see. You know, the church is much larger than what we see here in in the Western world. Yes. Um, and stories and what I read and what I hear on how the church looks across the world today, um, most notably in places where the Bible isn't as readily available as we have it today. 
Um, I think there's certainly a, a relationship there. Um, I certainly hear stories of the gifts being more active. I hear I hear more stories of the gifts in in places. Um, I don't even know how to say this the best. Um, maybe you have something to add to that, Matt. Yeah, uh, less developed, probably L- less developed. Maybe um, again, again, I think it's places where the the Bible isn't Middle as, East, Southeast Asia, Africa, right? Where the Bible isn't as isn't as readily available. Because I will, I will absolutely stand here and defend the point that the Bible is the primary way that God communicates with us today. Yeah, but you're gonna have that between the three of us, no doubt. Um, and, and so that, that goes back to the point of, you know, what is, what is the purpose of these gifts is the purpose to, to show off. No, the purpose is that it helps spread the cause of the church. So in America, I, I would agree it is much less needed. You know, why, why would you need to speak in tongues? Why would you need to have your, your, uh, verbal communication, uh, spiritually altered to be able to communicate to someone else in America? Uh, chances are that you're <laughs> that's very rare that's going to need to happen and if you needed to you could probably just type it into google translate and and save yourself the time i don't know mm-hmm. yeah for yeah sure. so so that's that's less of an authoritative statement more of an anecdotal things i've heard things i've read type of a statement for whatever that's worth for the discussion i i guess i for just for sake of not going long i don't know how much we should really go into going in too deep into the argument mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. kind of switch to a how do you continue to have this conversation because listener you're going to need to spend hours and hours and days reading and praying and considering these things and you're not going to get it from a, a 30 or however many minutes this podcast is uh you need to do the work and you need to consider how important this is um and and for each one of you it's going to impact you differently right so for michael and i at this stage of our lives we're not on a daily basis affected by our beliefs, I would say. Um, and, and with that, I, I should note, I've never spoken in tongues. I've never prophesied. I've never healed. I've never done any of these extraordinary uh, spiritual gifts. And I, I don't know if I ever will. And if God chooses to let me, uh, praise be to him for that. And if not, uh, I, I have zero doubt in my mind that I'm still uh, a legitimate child of God. So functionally, practically, I operate as a cessationist. But I'd say that in the in the sense of um, I, I believe that they can exist and, and do exist for the needs that God chooses in his sovereignty. But I'm not the one to determine that. So it's going to take work. And uh, Michael, what are some frameworks or ground rules to go about considering this? And then how do we have a discussion about it with people we disagree? Because churches divide over this. People lose friendships. I mean, families uh, have constant argumentation over this. How do we go about it? John Piper once said, (laughs) I want to make sure I get it right because Zach always used to think I quoted this and it was my quote, but it's actually John Piper. And I, I took it from John and Zach heard it from me. But if, if you, uh, if you, you can take whatever I say and you can throw it out the window, but if the Bible says it, then you better believe it. That was John Piper at like passion conference. I don't know, 2012, maybe 2011, 2010, somewhere in there. Yeah. He'll, he'll correct us when he listens to this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the the first thing I go I into that be that would literally be my dream come true. I freaking love John Piper. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I've been listening to the sermons; they've been great. Um, that's the first step I would take for our listeners. Whether you're doing spiritual gifts or any uh, other of these topics that churches are dividing over, you know, the, the main three—I don't know—baptism, spiritual gifts, and, and Calvinism versus uh, 
Arminianism. If you're looking into any of those topics and, and talking to people in your church about them, you have to go to Scripture and be willing to be patient and walk through the emotion of these arguments with people. Um, spiritual gifts of those, I think, can become the most emotional. I've talked to some friends who have spiritual gifts and have had, you know, encounter with angels, and it's a highly emotional topic for them. Um, so that's the first thing is you've got to bring it back to scripture. Uh, go ahead, Matt, if you got another one. No, I, I think with that, um, that, that's exactly where I wanted to go with it too, because it's going to be easiest to go to what is, is one, the thing that you've connected with emotionally, which is likely your, your, his, your personal experience with or without spiritual gifts. But then two, uh, it's, it's easiest to go to what's most convenient. And so for me, with Michael, you know, having this conversation throughout college, what was most convenient to me was to default to what I had as this experience of, you know, I, I've seen people have these, uh, you know, extraordinary spiritual gifts. I, I thought I had myself even. Um, there, there was a lot of baggage there. And so it was difficult for me to even move from a, a very charismatic place to uh, simply a continuationist. But I think on the other side, it may even be easier and, and where I'm at now, it's more convenient for me to be a cessationist because I have never had one of these gifts legitimately. Um, I don't know if I'm ever going to. And so why should I continue to hope for it? Why should I continue to, to even believe? And, and it's easy. That, that's the, you know, it'd be easy for me just to slip into a cessationist point of view and only believe that because that's what's easy. And that's not a good way to switch theological points. So m maybe cessationism is right. Maybe I'll listen to this in 10 years and, you know, shake my head at all the points I'm making now. But I shouldn't be because I simply went the easy route and, and didn't come there from a biblical point of view. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this, okay. And that leads me to my second point of practical takeaways. One, go to scripture. And the reason we go to scripture is this. Um, I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 1 here, uh, verse 22. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Uh, a writer that I follow, a theologian named Charles Baker, wrote a book called The Works of the Spirit. And in it, he told the story of a lady who was had terminal cancer and was looking for a preacher to heal her. And she came to Charles Baker, who was a pastor at the time, and he shared the gospel with her instead. And he he got called back when she was finally on her deathbed several months later. And she said, Pastor Baker, what you gave me was better than physically healing me of my cancer. You gave me spiritual peace and hope for an eternal life with Christ. I want to challenge us as Christians. Our main call is to share the gospel and give people the peace they're searching for, the hope they're searching for, that eternal piece of the puzzle that they're missing, that God-sized hole, and that's what we're supposed to fill. We're not supposed to go looking for spiritual gifts to fix physical problems here on earth. We're supposed to take the Bible and the message of the gospel to fix the spiritual brokenness of people. And that's, the I think, the key point that I really want to emphasize with, when it comes to spiritual gifts is our power is found in the gospel and the work that Jesus Christ did. And that's how we're going to fix spiritual problems and not physical ones. People look at these gifts because they want healing, they want power, they want pride, and all those things are not helpful, and they're only helpful here on earth, and they won't serve for an eternal purpose. So that's point number two. We never see any direction biblically to go and pursue spirit, specific spiritual gifts for their own sake. They always have that purpose to do something else, and the purpose is to get to the end game, like Michael said. 
to get to the gospel because that's what's going to heal. So allow me to, uh, if you will, as a bystander, I would say, of this discussion, um, as, as I feel like I've been a bystander of this discussion for years now, allow me to tell a story, if you will, kind of on this topic, which I think we're, we're all going to agree with as we come to the end. So uh, my big points as I go through this, and I told these guys at the, at the front of this, I was like, I have like one thing to say about this topic, and I think that's it. First uh, Corinthians 12, verse 4, there are different gifts, but the same spirit distributes them. Who gives the gifts? God. God is in control. It's up to God. Everything about this, God is sovereign in the spiritual gifts. It's not you who gets to decide, I I think I'm going to heal this person. I think I'm going to speak in tongues. I think I'm going to see angels today. No, the spirit decides. God decides on spiritual gifts. Uh, And even as you progress through, Paul, when he moves into verse, or, or sorry, chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, he points to something that is much greater than spiritual gifts. He, that, that ultimately, if you have these gifts without love, if you have without faith, hope, and love, what's the point? So ultimately, these things are pointing to faith, hope, love. These, these facets that are so much more important, so much greater, so much more beautiful than the gifts themselves. I'm going to wrap it up going back a little bit in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 10, uh, what verse is this? Verse 31. Uh, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And this is is where we get, right? We, We said at the beginning, this is like a tier three discussion. But where are we at the end of this? We agree, and this is this is the point of this discussion. If you want to know how to agree, or sorry, how to disagree well to the listener, this is my application point to you. How do you disagree well? This right here, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. Whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. We all agree, and this is a non-negotiable point. You can't interpret this any other way. Whether, whether you believe spiritual gifts are active They're for the glory of God, which unfortunately, amongst many, many, many people we see practicing spiritual gifts, they ain't doing it to the glory of God. They're doing it to the glory of themselves. Or whether you believe spiritual gifts have ceased, they've ceased to the glory of God. And that's the non-negotiable. And this is, now I'm on my soapbox here. I feel like I always get on my soapbox one point during the the podcast. But this is is the non-negotiable. This is the... This is the discussion between what can we disagree on and what can't we disagree on. This is what we can't disagree on. Is that whatever you do, it's for the glory of God. If you're the believer, that's what you have to believe. At the end of the day, you can't negotiate on that. What we can negotiate on, and I feel like hopefully what we've demonstrated a little bit here is we see this a little bit differently. Um, So instead of a a hipster and an Amish guy... We have something more like a charismatic, a dispy, and a fence sitter. Um, <laughs> kind of continuation is <laughs> dispy and a fence sitter. Well, whatever. A charismatic <laughs> felt like it flowed a little bit better, but I don't know. Guy over there. <laughs> I don't know. I hope that was at least as as a bystander in the discussion. I hope that was at least somewhat helpful to, to the listener and to you guys. Yeah, Zach. Thank you. And I I think that's, I mean, that's what you're going to get out of this, right? Uh, for those of you who've been listening to our podcast for a long time, we, we have short little segments. We don't dive into this. You're going to find so many other 
sources and resources on the internet to learn more about this. If you are looking for a lecture about every single point within this, this isn't going to be it. If you're looking for a debate where we work through every little uh, tidbit of, of where the differences are, this isn't going to be it. But we are a theology of plain men. We believe that normal people need to be able to care about these things. What we want you to see is that take Michael and I, we've been arguing about this for seven, six years, seven years, and we still disagree. And that's fine. And that's good because it it's okay. Uh, the church disagrees and we have to be able to disagree. Uh, Ephesians 4 talks about you know, the, the different roles within the church and uh, the purpose of them. And uh, my Bible app just crashed, but it says that God gave, gave us um, evangelists, gave us prophets, gave us shepherds, etc. And, and uh, all for the purpose of working together until we are united in Christ. And the purpose of this, like Zach said, is unity. So we have to pursue that and understand it's going to take work. It's going to, uh, you know, be a lot more than what this is, but it's worth it. So go ahead, disagree, and apply that in your lives and your family's lives because it matters. Yeah, and I'll wrap it up here. And, and you guys just had great points. So to wrap up our application points, when you're in this discussion, one, go to Scripture to walk through the emotional uh, debate, the, the discussion, emotional discussion this can be. Step two, look at the bigger goal of sharing the gospel and, and fixing that person spiritually before physically. Uh, and, and to the sub point to that is we're here for the glory of God at the end of the day. And that was a beautiful point, Zach and Matt, that you guys brought up. And then my third point to close is just a, a, a minor caution to my friends out there who are practicing gifts or for those who are interested in it. The other question I always ask in this is are signs and wonders proof of a, a sincere belief and the answer to that is no. You look at Matthew seven twenty two. Many will, will, this is Jesus speaking. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name? Do we not cast out demons in your name? Do we not perform any miracles? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. That's my caution is, is ask that question as well. So those are our three points uh, to kind of wrap up this discussion. I hope this verbal processing was edifying and encouraging to you. And that's what we're all about here at the Theology of Plain Man podcast. Have a wonderful day.